Good morning. This morning we are reading Psalm 63, and we'll talk about how to worship in the wilderness. Psalm 63. It's a Psalm of David when he was in the desert of Judah. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. I come to you this morning with a confession. This is um, an AED. It's an automatic external defibrillator. If you happen to have a medical emergency, you could call an ambulance and wait them to arrive to assist you. If your heart is the cause of your medical emergency, you don't have time to wait. You need the equipment with you immediately. And uh, we have this available just in case anybody needs it. To date, we have never needed it. I would love to use this machine on one of you. <laughs> I have trained thoroughly. I dream about it often. You walk into church, clutch your chest, fall to the ground. I'm there with my uh, defib ready. I rub the pads together. You don't have to do that. I'm just going Hollywood with this. <laughs> Stick it on your chest. One electrode on either side of your heart. I tell you, everything's going to be okay as I connect you to electricity. And then the moment. Whack the button. And a surge of electricity pours through your heart, altering a defective heartbeat into one that beats to a rhythm that it should. You sit up with a deep breath, you look at me, and I say, it's all fine. All I need is one of you to go into cardiac arrest, and my dream is fulfilled. Today we are looking at Psalm 63, and to me, some of you are still waiting for me to hit this button and shock myself. I can see it on your faces. Nope. <laughs> Psalm 63 is the defibrillator of the Bible. These words get thrown through our heart to alter the heartbeat so that every beat beats for Jesus. We read this not because we are looking for a test, not because we are evaluating ourselves. We read this so that this, these words, these 
hymns, this poetry, this lyrics can so go through our heart that it alters the way we live for God and the way we worship Him. So as we uh, look at this, just have this image in your mind of these words pulsating through your heart, detecting where your heart needs to beat slightly differently. In verse 1, we see that David has an intimate relationship with God. In the wilderness, you need to know God intimately. This phrase, you God are my God, that was written for people like me, introverts. See, we introverts, we know when a few words carries a weight of meaning. And I can see my introverts all nodding, yes. The extroverts among you are the ones that have already been on your phone texting, the speaker today wants me to have a heart attack. You God are my God is the opposite of the OMG, oh my God. It's the opposite of that hollow sort of random phrase we sometimes throw out. Uh, the third commandment tells us not to use the name of the Lord, your God, in vain. So not in an empty, shallow, hollow way. I think it risks, that language risks us relating to God in the same way as those empty words in a distant, hollow, empty manner. David is intimate with God. He's, this, this verse doesn't directly point to God. It's a generic sentence. God, Elohim, Eli, these are words that can be used for anything that's worshipped. We only know who David is referring to because we know David and we know that he's talking about my God and so we know this God. It's like um, the possession that you have within marriage. You know, we have these um, weddings, couples walk down here, they come up to the front, and the, the groom says, I take you to be my wife. And the bride says to the groom, I take you to be my husband. There's this possession, there's this, you are mine. And David looks to God and says, I have you, you are mine. This is the intimacy that he enjoys with God. He goes on to say that um, even though he has this deep connection, even though he has God, um, he wants more. This intimacy is, is built on trust. You know, this, this, this couple, they don't just arrive here on the day, they've been on the tube and shared a glance, they've gone on a first date, they spend months getting to know each other, the trust has grown, and so the intimacy has grown. You, you don't get intimate with someone you don't trust, right? David trusts God, he's bonded to God in the most intimate way, like a, a marriage couple, and yet he says, I want more. He says, I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. So what do we make of that? Well, there's a daily need, isn't there? Knowing God is essential, but in the wilderness, you also need to pitch up daily to talk to God. It's, it's the overriding 
message of the Psalms. Closeness and nearness to God, seeking his face. This is the, the, the repeating, resounding message of the Psalms, and it points to this picture of wanting to be back in Eden. Remember the story, God creates paradise, drops Adam and Eve into it, and every day they walk together in the garden, talking, being intimate. One day, they do something silly, touch a tree they shouldn't have, and God says, sorry, you have to leave. So they're out in the wilderness. There's a, two swords flaming away at the entrance, stopping them from ever returning. They're wild animals placed at the entrance. They can't go back. And this is where we find ourselves, in the wilderness. This is where David is, in the wilderness, physically, spiritually. He says it's a dry place. There's no sustenance for life in this place. And he says, I thirst for you, God. My whole being longs for you. The next point is um, worship in the wilderness has to be continuous. David says it's early in the morning and it's late at night. There's this connection where he's earnestly seeking God in the morning. We use the word earnestly because Hebrew words have a depth of meaning. Each word carries a, a huge weight and we pick out what we think is priority. Your Bible might say, early in the morning, I seek you. So David's out there spending time doing his Bible in one year. He's, a verse pops out. He takes a photo on his phone. He carries it with him through the day. Every now and then he, he looks at it, thinks, ponders. At lunchtime, he's Googling, oh, what does this word mean? What are other people saying about this? At night, he's in bed thinking about what God has done thinking about some memory verse that he has in his mind, and he's completed the cycle of being in God's presence all day long, sort of like a mini Bible study throughout his day where God is completely the focus. You might ask, well, why? Why does God need this amount of attention from us? reason is in verse 2. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. In our family, we don't use hand sanitizer. It's too big a word for the youngest child. So we have hanitizer. I give that to you. You can market it if you like. The word worship um, is made up of two words, worthy and ship. I have no idea why the word ship is in there, but worthy refers to us placing value and worshiping whatever we see as the utmost worth. David says that your love, God, is better than anything in life. That's a huge statement. Yeah, we're in the wilderness, but there are some good points to this world. David says, nothing compares. Just to one attribute, just your love, 
Nothing else compares in value. So what do we make of this? Um, maybe it's an affectionate love language, something like, I love you with all my heart. We know that, what that, we know what that means, right? It's not all my heart, I need a bit of my heart for myself, I need some love for sports and gardening. So is David saying to God, your love is better than all of life? You know what I mean? I don't think so. I think he literally means that in this world, nothing compares to the love of God. There are at least 11 Christians who every day die because they choose God's love over life. It's estimated 11 Christians die per day around the world because they value God above everything else and will not deny him. When David says, your love is better than all of life, I think he means it. We worship him because he is worthy. In verse four, it gets interesting because um, David shows that God is worthy in every circumstance. He says, all my life, I'm going to praise you. He guarantees it. But he doesn't guarantee how he's gonna do it. Verses three, five, and seven has an audible worship. It's singing, the lips of my mouth will glorify you. There's something audible, there's some exuberance about it. Verse four, it's, it's hands up. We get no indication that there are any songs or words coming from his mouth. I um, had some friends a few years ago and they were excited about a baby that would be arriving. In the last few days of the pregnancy, things did not work out well for them and um, instead of planning birthdays and baptisms, they had to plan a funeral. I'm sorry if this is your story or close to your story. I'll get to the point really quickly. We went to the little church to have the funeral and they asked us to sing a worship song to start off with. And we struggled. It's hard. We were doing our best, but. And then in the front row, as we watched them, just saw their hands going up. No singing, just tears falling to the ground and them making a statement that no matter what the circumstance, God is worthy. I admire that. David says, no matter what, all my life, you'll get my praise. Might not always be dancing and singing, but I'm gonna praise you because you are always worthy. Why would you consider worshiping a God in a world like this, in this wilderness? That's a good question to ask. Um, I, I started off the creation story, I didn't finish it. 
Remember, God creates paradise, drops in Adam and Eve, walks around with them daily. They pick the fruit and get pushed out of Eden. They are flaming swords and animals to get them out. Now Adam and Eve are in the wilderness where things are hard, where life is tough and then it gets tougher. Adam and Eve get to know each other a bit. Adam gets a haircut, a job, second-hand car, takes Eve to Nando's. This is not in the Bible. Come on, you know this, right? <laughs> and they have a little moment, and Eve starts getting bigger. She asks Adam, do I look fat in this? Adam says, I've made one mistake in my life. I'm not about to make another. And he keeps quiet. And Eve has what I cannot imagine I'm the first childbirth in the history of the world. Adam sees this and he does what every man from that point to 1983 does. He goes to the pub. And Eve gives birth to Cain. Do you know what she says? Genesis 4 verse 1. Sweetest words. She says, the Lord helped me. So now, now you've got to rewrite the story in your mind. God creates paradise, drops in Adam and Eve, they walk together, they pick the fruit, they're out, flaming swords, wild animals, but now you've got a picture that God stepped out of paradise and was with Eve in the moment that she needed him the most, God was there. I give you this. If you are fortunate enough to find someone who will walk down this aisle with you, come and stand here, and say to you, in richness and in poverty, I will take you. In sickness and in health, I will take you. If you find a person like that, you have my blessing, marry them. If you find a God who is willing to step out of paradise into the dirt of the wilderness with you, you worship that God. I have not found any other than Jesus. He is near, he is trustworthy, he is willing to draw close to you. He's willing to show you his face if you just show up in the morning and read some of his words. You know why I follow Jesus? I meant to say that it's because he died and rose again and I can have eternal life with God. I, I believe that always will. But in Mark 8, from verse 31, Jesus is he's talking to some people and he says, I'm going to die. But I'm, just wait, count three days and I'll rise up again. That is remarkable. To die and rise again, remarkable. Miracle. To say you are going to do it and then you do it, you can tell me anything after that and I will trust you. Jesus is trustworthy. Everything he says to you will come about. He is God, he is with you, he is near. All we have to do is show up. Let these words pulsate through our hearts like you're connected to electricity. And let him change that heartbeat to a point where every little beat is for him.
In Jesus' name. Amen.